So this is the last Sunday of the year. How'd it go? Your year. It was all right, right? It was good. Some of you it was good. Some of you it was bad. Some of you it was like everybody else. It was just a year. There were good things. There were bad things. Um, one of the things, though, that I've been getting more excited about the older I get are New Year's resolutions, which people are like, those are a terrible idea. For me, they're not. New Year's resolutions, and I also love the practice of Lent, though I'm not going to tell you what I'm giving up unless I give up coffee again because you deserve the warning. <laughs> that was a long 40 days. But every year I try to give up something that no one will know about just in order to remind me of my need for God. In a very same way, New Year's gives us this platform, right, where we can decide to do better because it's a new beginning. Even if you don't like the idea, if you've usually failed at your uh, resolutions, it might say more about what you've resolved to do than resolutions themselves. Often, I will throw out the idea that I'm going to lose a certain amount of weight. I've done it once. I've said it a lot. <laughs> but I've also found that my motivation for losing weight has always been out of vanity. That and missing the back half of my feet because they're probably legally dead at this point. I haven't seen them in quite some time. But that's not the kind of resolution I'm worried about this year. I titled this sermon, Resolving to Grow. It's very easy, it's very easy to get stuck in your practices and in your disciplines, it's incredibly, it's incredibly easy to get stuck in a pattern or a discipline. I'm going to wake up at this time. I'm going to read this many verses of scripture. I'm going to make sure I read this. I'm going to make sure I pray. I'm going to make sure I do this. These are good things. These are incredibly good things. Having a, uh, a system, having a, a routine in place is actually great. But I noticed back when I was working out, which I've done in stages through life, but I don't do it halfway. If I work out, I work out for two hours a day every day. And if I don't work out, I just don't work out at all. But when I was working out, I realized that your body adjusts to routines very quickly. Once you get used to doing something and your body adapts to it, you no longer start to see results. You stop seeing the results and it just becomes maintenance. I feel that spiritual discipline is very much the same way. Anything that you're doing that becomes routine is therefore maintenance. You are maintaining a certain spirituality, which is not bad. But what's better is growth. My resolutions this year, I feel free to share resolutions because they're silly, mostly. This year, I want to be more intentional. Because as anyone close to me can tell you, I usually fly by the seat of my pants and try to wing it in all walks of life and at all times. It makes me very difficult to live with. 
makes me very difficult to be in fellowship with. It is not a spiritual discipline. It's a band-aid on a bullet hole. The ability to wing it is just that. But I see that Scripture calls us to be intentional. Along with obedience, Scripture does call us to be intentional creatures, to know why we're doing something, and to do all things as unto the Lord. It's hard for me to do all things unto the Lord if I'm winging it. And I'm sure God gets a lot of glory through chaotic people because we still continue to live and function. That's not exactly what I want my goal to be, because good enough should never be good enough. But I want to resolve to be more intentional. Am I going to be perfect at it? No. Absolutely not. I've got 42 years of chaos. And about a year of trying to use a planner. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some time. And I would like it if you all would pray for me about that, because I'm being serious. I always say what's wrong with me because it's safe to use myself as an example. It's not going to offend you if I talk about me. Maybe it will. But hopefully this isn't out of vain conceit. I'm just being transparent. I am an adult with ADHD, which I just got diagnosed with last year. Yep, it's always good to wait till you're 42 to get diagnosed with ADD. It really helps. But I have ADHD, which means my attention span is muy poquito. It is very short. Very short. I'm also dyslexic. And I teach. Right? And you try to tell me God doesn't have a delightful sense of humor. I do these things because I feel called to them. Not because I feel that I was the most likely or the most valued in that profession. But it doesn't mean that I'm stuck there. You know what's funny about being dyslexic? The more you read, the less it affects your reading. The answer isn't to say, oh, I'm dyslexic and avoid reading. It's to read more. And then your brain figures out what's going wrong. And after a while, you may do a little bit of paraphrasing when you read out loud, but no one really seems to notice until you tell them. The thing with ADHD, still figuring that one out. But it really helps to limit your distractions. So one of the things I'm going to resolve to do is limit the amount of time and time that I play solitaire on my phone. That sounds stupid, doesn't it? Like, how old is this guy? I like solitaire. I play solitaire on my phone. Sometimes I play solitaire on my phone. I've just realized because it's been brought to my attention, actually, for long periods of time. I'm not saying I'm going to stop doing it entirely, but I might. Kind of wired like a light switch. I'm all in or I'm all out. But I need to learn moderation because Paul talks about moderation. All things in moderation. doesn't say abstinence from all things. All things in moderation. So I need to work on that as well. Is anyone with me needing to be more intentional and more moderate? Two of you. Cool. All right, three. I feel like these are common things that we can actually urge each other on in. Do I hope to lose weight? Sure. It doesn't matter. I have a piece of paper that says my wife loves me. That was a ridiculous thing to say. 
but it's true. I don't think my wife is going to care if I ever am the same shape that I proposed to her in again. Because in very real ways, I married a Cecilia Mennonite and she did this to me. <laughs> she can cook. She can bake. She's amazing. However, what I do need to worry about is my moderation, particularly with food. If you've got a problem with drinking, you stop drinking. If you've got a problem with drugs, you stop drugs. If you've got a problem with gossip, you knock it off. If you've got a problem with food, you can't stop. I mean, you can stop for about 40 days, but then you die. So moderation, but not for vanity's sake. Moderation because if something is so important to me, that I'm going to bombard my life with it. Well, then I'm placing it too high. I need to be able to enjoy one plate of food and not three just because it tastes good. But there's something very uh, primal about that. When something tastes good, you want more of it. After a while, your body stops telling you you're full because you want more of it. It's very selfish. It's very greedy. And I need to work on that. And some of you also probably need to work on that. But to what end? I could say a thousand things I want to work on about myself, but you know, the really special thing is this isn't about me. It's not. I'm going to continue to be a human being, which means I'm going to continue to have flaws. It means that I'm not always going to be a perfect role model. That is the reality of life. Does that give me a pass? No. If you see me doing something stupid, call me out on it. That's called accountability. I need that. You need that. We need accountability. We need each other. But to what end should I be making resolutions? For the glory of God. If I'm able to live a disciplined life with my body, which is a temple for the Holy Spirit, then that is an act of worship. That sets my mind away from excessiveness and that really visceral, I need more of this and this. This weird greed. Fellowship launches start next week, by the way. I realize how much I'm setting myself up for failure in saying all of this. I'm not setting myself up for failure, actually. I'm setting myself up to be held accountable. <coughs> Because I'm not sure if you realize this, but this church doesn't have two cookbooks on accident. The food is really good. And I highly encourage you to come to the fellowship meals and to fellowship. And I'm not saying I'm never going to eat a certain dessert or I'm not going to have a certain food or I'm not going to have seconds. What I need to do is be intentional about what I'm doing. I don't want to make vain and pointless resolutions at this part of my life. Because if I get my act together and I bring down my cholesterol and my blood pressure and my anxiety levels and everything else that's wrong with Western men, particularly me, if I get all that in order, 
I'm still about half done just by benefit of age. I also don't always pay attention. I told you I'm ADD. I could get hit by a bus. What point is vanity? All of this is so temporary. If I live to be 100 years old, what good is vanity? How good am I going to look when I'm 100? Hopefully, I'll, if I make it, hopefully I look like a cute little wrinkled dude. Who knows? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What do I look like now? Why does that matter so much to me? Why doesn't, well, it either should matter to me or it shouldn't. Clearly, I missed a memo somewhere. But all this vanity, all this vanity, for what, for what point, for what purpose? I want to save money. Why? That's not a bad thing. Save money. Good. But why? What are you saving for? I want to pray more. Good. Why? Well, what could be wrong with praying? Nothing, but why are you doing it? What are you praying for? What is the hope of your prayer? Is your prayer life to grow closer to God? Is your prayer life because you want to see the world change? Those are both good things, but the way someone prays is going to be very different based on what the end they're searching for is. If they're looking for the world to be a better place, they're going to pray differently than if they're looking to be closer to God. I just want to be more spiritual. That's not bad. But you're going to pray differently. My friend is a very, uh, if he watches this, I'll, I'll apologize later. My friend's a little on the legalistic end. I love him, but he's never done anything on accident, ever. And he's of a very stodgy Christian tradition. He's a pastor. I love him dearly. But a couple of years ago, he asked me what my sleep theology was. And I almost laughed at him. What is your sleep theology? I'm like, I have a sleep disorder. I don't know. But to him, a third of his life should have some biblical significance. So that's not as dumb a question as it came across to me being. It was just alien. What is your sleep theology? Never thought about it, not once. One third of your life, roughly. What does God want you to do with your sleep? Why, surely he wants you to do something. I don't know. Maybe that's something that should be looked into. This is all part of being intentional that scares me. Every time you start to learn, you realize there's more you need to learn. Every time you start to grow, you realize how much growth you haven't achieved. Every it's interesting. The more you uncover, the more you realize there is to uncover. Growing up, my parents uh, had a little rock in the backyard. My father started to dig it up because it was just kind of a pain, but it was a rock. And as he dug, it got bigger. Now, granted, the rock didn't grow, but as he unearthed around it, it ended up being basically a boulder. When we moved, he took that rock with them, and my mom has a little rose garden around it. But my father found it to be completely profound because what's showing on the surface isn't all that's going on. It was a huge life lesson for him at a time when he needed it. But I think that's a, also a universal truth is as you start to dig, you realize there's more going on under the surface. As you start to try to mature in faith, you realize how much there is to fix. 
I remember a time in my life when I needed to quit smoking. Great. Wonderful. Saved a lot of money. I'm still alive. I still laugh like a smoker. I don't know when that's going to stop. Maybe it won't. Maybe I'll always sound like, uh, what was that dog's name from the cartoons? <laughs> that one? Anyway, not important. But once you cut out something like that in your life, you realize you still have problems. Now you just got the next thing to move on to. I stopped fighting with people. Good. Now you got to deal with bitterness. The bitterness was there before, but you thought fighting was a problem. No, it wasn't. You thought drinking was a problem. No, it wasn't. It was a manifestation of a problem that was manifesting other problems, but it wasn't the problem. I think overeating's my problem. Not by a long shot. When we resolve to do things, we're really, we're really just stepping into the next thing. And I would like for you guys to make resolutions too this year, but not silly ones. If you want to lose weight, just make sure you know why. If you want to quit smoking, I encourage that, but know why. For what purpose? Is it because your body is a temple to the Holy Spirit or is it because those things are stinking expensive? Initially, I quit because my wife's allergic. But can you imagine trying to be a pastor and a Christian school teacher as a smoker? I really don't think they'd let me. But initially, it was because my wife was allergic. What kind of person is going to do that when their wife's allergic to it? It's like having a pet cat hit in the bedroom if your wife's allergic to it. It's stupid. As I go on in life, though, motivations change a bit. As Christians, if we've died to our old self and we believe that this God of creation wants to be in relationship with us, why wouldn't I want to do his will? Why wouldn't I want to be obedient to what I believe his will to is completely? So as you're deciding, and I know I'm a teacher, so I'm going to give you homework, but I would like you to think about one thing. You can resolve it. You can tell people you can keep it secret. I don't care. It's none of my business. But I would like you to pick at least one thing this year and know why. Pick one thing that you're going to change, that you're either going to do, you're going to stop doing, you're going to do better. But I also want you to figure out before this new year starts later today and tomorrow, really, but before tomorrow, definitely, I'd like you to figure out your motivation behind it. I want to spend more time with my mom, which I do actually, but why? I can't think of any bad reasons to, but I'm just saying, but why? I want to be more intentional with the way I read my Bible, not just chalk up pages. I've gotten very good at reading a lot of biblical pages. And I've been very blessed by that. However, I want to read my scripture intentionally and I want to read it thoughtfully and I want to read it while meditating on what God's trying to tell me. And I have to deal with the fact that that might bruise my ego that now I'm reading less scripture than someone else, which is silly ego, but it exists. We develop weird spiritual prides. I need to be more intentional about the way I pray. 
I make the joke, but it's not a joke. Oftentimes, the, the most fervent prayer I have in a day is, Lord, help me find my car keys. I'll be praying for other things, but that's the, the passionate one. 20,000 people starve to death every single day. And I am passionate about finding my car keys. Who cares? Well, I do, but, and obviously God does too, because I find him every time. So far. But it tells you something about yourself. And I'm not the only one. I'm using me as an example, not because I'm good and not because I'm more evil than anyone else, but because I'm not going to offend me. If I start pointing at people in the congregation and saying, hey, I know you deal with this. With few exceptions, y'all aren't going to like it. Some of us are close enough. I know that they'd be okay with me bringing it up. I still don't think it's my place every time. But we can hold each other accountable and we can model behaviors for people. There are people amongst us where I see an attitude and a behavior that they have. And I'm like, I want that. Because it's a very godly behavior. The way that Chad Keeler views his family. It's amazing. It's a very godly behavior. I'm not saying I don't love my family and I don't cherish them, but with him, that's evident. You talk to him for two seconds, you know, that's a family man and he loves his family. When I talk to Don, actually, you don't even have to talk to Don. You just saw Don come up here and read scripture. Is your back broken? His back was broken. So that, yeah, so he's got a broken back. That disclaimer, if you're in pain, you can stay seated. Well, it hurts when you're sitting down too, but that's not the point. His willingness to serve is wonderful. Norm's thirst for knowledge, second to none. It's very inspiring. Sue's prayer life is incredibly inspiring. The way John responds to things, I wish I could do that sometimes. I know, you didn't know I was going to talk about you. There's probably people in this room that have still never heard you speak. That has never been true of me. It's admirable. You don't waste words. It's admirable. I could probably do that with just about everybody here. I could say something about them that inspires me. Keith, you're not safe. I'm sorry. My brother-in-law... How many kids you got, Keith? I knew the answer to that. I was just wanted him to talk. He's got five kids. How many are biological? Doesn't make a difference. They're still yours. I didn't do that. I'm afraid of doing that. That's admirable. That's godly. My father-in-law broke the ice in the 70s for me. He didn't know I was coming or he probably would have warned everybody. He had a Sicilian Catholic Vietnam Marine show up at Valley View Mennonite Church and he stayed. So when Amber's army 
husband Afghanistan weirdo showed up later, no one thought it was weird. The fact that he was willing to stay allowed me to have a comfortable landing here. That's amazing. I'm a quitter. Historically, not anymore, but I've been a quitter. If I would have gotten a lot of friction when I showed up, I probably wouldn't have. There's a lot of people that are just amazing and inspiring, but it's because of the godly things that they do. Having steadfastness is a godly attribute. Being stubborn isn't necessarily, but you have to figure out where one ends and the other begins. But it's an offshoot of an incredibly godly characteristic that I would love to emulate. But it isn't that I want to be more like Don and I want to be more like Norm and I want to be more like Sue and Keith. It's not that I want to be more like them. It's that I want to be more like Christ. These attributes of Christ that they encompass so well. That's what I want. So I don't want to look at a person and elevate them too high because they'll let me down. Much like if you elevate me in any way, I will let you down. If I haven't disappointed you yet, wait. It's the reality. I'll try not to. But if I haven't disappointed you yet, I will. You know who will not disappoint you? Jesus. Jesus will not disappoint you. Anything I do well is by the glory of God, is by the grace of God that I can do anything. So if you ever see me do anything well, praise God. Don't praise me. Praise God. My brother-in-law has perfect pitch that blows my mind. He was playing piano there. He asked me, are you guys going to practice before you play? I said, we're not doctors. We, we don't have a practice. He was able to just sit there and play along. It sounded beautiful, by the way. His willingness to play music, that was a gift God gave him. There are many of you that are able just to cheer me up by your overall disposition. I love Merlin's calmness. I'm sure Merlin gets worked up. I just really haven't seen it. But he's a human being. I'm sure he gets worked up. He also has kids. So I know he's got to get worked up at some point. But Merlin, almost any conversation I've had with him, no matter what's going on, it looks at least like it just kind of rolls off. It doesn't change him. That's amazing. That is, a, that is God at work in someone's life. There are other people that aren't there necessarily. We're just waking up as showing that God is alive and working in their life. The fact that they keep putting one foot in front of the other. But that doesn't mean that's where they're stuck. That means that's where they are. The way Millie and Scott love people blows my mind and it blesses me. I really didn't intend to do this with everybody. I'm sorry. I just got started and it's hard to stop once you do. <laughs> Grandma Betty, arguably one of my favorite people in the entire world. The only person I know who loves coffee more than I do. I absolutely love her. If you don't have an Italian grandma, get one. They're amazing. I love her to pieces. 
Anyway, I feel like I fawned over you guys a little too much. But it's a new year coming right up. And as we go into the new year, we're going to end this year by taking communion together, which is something that we don't do often. It's not something that maybe we do often enough. But what we're doing when we're taking communion is we're in unity. We're remembering the sacrifice that Jesus gave through his blood and his body. We're letting everything that's holding us back go for the sake of Christ. You're letting all your grudges go for the sake of Christ. You're letting your sins go for the sake of Christ. Before we take communion today, and I make Don and Chad come up here. Chad thought he was off the hook for once. Chad's up here like every week, and I appreciate him. But before they come back up here, I would like us just to take a second. I'd like to pray for us that we'd be ready to receive communion. Because it's not just juice and bread. I mean, we, we'd use juice, it's not wine, but it's not just juice and bread. If you want juice and bread, the dollar store's right there. There's nothing wrong with eating juice and bread. What we're doing is different, though. We're remembering what Christ did. Last week, we looked at the birth of Christ who came into a broken and fallen world into unideal situ- circumstances. And this here is remembering his death, that after living a sinless life, after healing and loving people, he willingly was killed for our sins. His blood was shed, his body was broken. And I want to be very clear when I say he didn't stay dead. He rose again. He conquered death and sin. He ascended to the Father and he is coming back. And all of this is important to keep in mind. He gave up. He gave up more than I can comprehend to come to earth to begin with. He died in a way that actually scares me to think about. And he returned to heaven and he is coming back for us. But this morning we're looking at this gift that God has given us, his own flesh, his own blood. Would you pray with me?